Any education apart from Jesus Christ is for us miseducation. And it produces not education nor an educated man, but a new race of barbarians who are today busily destroying their civilization. Humanistic education is the institutionalized love of death. Christian education, because it serves him who says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, is the love of life. This is the Love of Life podcast, conversations with Jesse and Courtney. All right, episode eight. Can you believe this is the eighth episode? Woo-woo. <laughs> that was really weak. Okay, do it again. Okay, but I'm going to keep it in. Duh. <laughs> All right, this is episode eight. Can you believe that we have made it this far? Whoa. <laughs> that, was, that was worse somehow. Okay. Yeah, wow, cool. Yeah. Episode eight. Episode eight. We're not in our infancy anymore. We're, really? We're getting our... Eight episodes makes we're, you we're, not we're definitely infant? We're definitely crawling on the floor at this point. Screeching. <laughs> or butt scooting. Making, uh, yeah, like our daughter. Making terrible noises. I think we're what? <laughs> your 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 noise that you're trying to make. Oh, I don't know what I'm doing with that. Okay, cool. Yeah, great. Okay, so what do you want to talk about? Um, the thing you were telling me earlier today, or last night, or both. Both actually, I did. Both. Actually. So I was reading in Ezekiel. You've you've told me I'm not exactly. How do you say it? Ezekiel. You add a U sometimes when you say it. Sometimes. Yeah. All right. But it's Ezekiel. Ezekiel. The faster I say it, the better I say it. Okay. (laughs) Or maybe you're just not catching it. Yeah. All right. So Ezekiel 34. I read this perhaps. I don't know. I mean, maybe I've read this before. Maybe I haven't. I don't know. But it just, I was taken aback by, by this because it's directly prophetical of Christ being the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. What does that look for? Is prophetical a word? Prophetical. Prophetical? Is that a word? It sounds weird. Prophetic. Prophetical? Hold on a minute. Let's <laughs> let's find out. Let's find out if it's still if, if it's a word. If it isn't, I'm taking it out. <laughs> Now you got to leave it in. You leave in all my nonsense. Well, hold on. Google's not telling me it is. <laughs> I'm in trouble. Prophetical Ezekiel. <laughs> yep, it is. Thanks a lot. Really? You just wasted five minutes of podcast time. Prophetical. There we Adjective. go. Okay, so. Sorry, that just yeah. that sounded weird. Yeah. Okay. Chapter 34, verse 1 says, I, don't, I won't read the whole chapter. I really want to, but I won't. Do it. No, it's too long. People will tune out. Okay, so 34, verse 1 says, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds. Thus says the Lord God, 
Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought, and with force and harshness you have ruled them. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered, they wandered over all the mountains and on every high hill. My sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth, with none to search or seek for them. Therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord, as I live, declares the Lord God, surely because my sheep have become a prey, and my sheep have become food for all the wild beasts, since there was no shepherd. And because my shepherds have not searched for my sheep, but the shepherds have fed themselves and have not fed my sheep. Therefore you shepherds hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouths, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God. I'm not going to read the whole chapter, but I'm going to continue. (laughs) It's good. It's it's really good. For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep, and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from the peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel by the ravines and in all the inhabited places of the country. I will feed them with good pasture and on the mountain heights of Israel shall be their grazing land. There they shall lie down in good grazing land, and on rich pasture they shall feed on the mountains of Israel. I may have said that twice. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep, and I myself will make them lie down, declares the Lord God. I will seek the lost, and I will bring bring back the strayed, and I will bind up the injured, and I will strengthen the weak, and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. As for you, my flock, thus says the Lord God, behold, I judge between sheep and sheep, between rams and male goats. Is it not enough for you to feed on the good pasture that you must tread down with your feet the rest of your pasture and to drink of clear water, that you must muddy the rest of the water with your feet, and you must And must my sheep eat what you have trodden with your feet and drink what you have muddied with your feet? Therefore, thus says the Lord God to them, Behold, I, I myself will judge between the fat sheep and the lean sheep, because you push with side and shoulder and thrust at all the weak with their horns till you have scattered them abroad. I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep. And I will set up over them one shepherd, my servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. And my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. 
That's not even the whole chapter. (laughs) (laughs) But that's so good. So good. The shepherd, right? Christ refers to himself as the shepherd searching for the lost sheep, right? In the Gospels. All throughout the Gospels, we see that he is the good shepherd who lays down his life for the sheep. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want, right? Yes. But this morning, okay, I was reading in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 20. It says, the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in all good works to do his will, working in you that which is pleasant in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise forever and ever. Amen. He is the great shepherd of the sheep. And it was prophetical in Ezekiel <laughs> chapter 34. Like, I, the Lord, will do this, he says. Yeah, my in favorite. The, my in favorite the Old part. Testament. Yeah, my favorite part in what you read in Ezekiel is I, I myself. Right. We'll go and search for them. Yeah. He does what no man can do. He he does all of the, you know, you have David, you have all of these Old Testament individuals. There's no one like God. There's no one like him. Only he could be the shepherd, the great shepherd. Only he could pay the punishment for our sins. Only he could be the one to make restitution. Only he can be the one to lead his flock and his people. And he himself does it out of his mercy and grace and love for us. I was blown away by, I was honestly blown (laughs) away by that last, last night and this morning, how the two things just coincide, just my reading coincided with one another. Yeah. The parallels, the old Testament and the new Testament. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. And it's everywhere, and that's what we're discovering. Yeah. In both of our reading of the Old and the New Testament, these massive parallels. You cannot read one without the other. We cannot read just the New Testament and be, I know we've said this before, but we can't just look at the New Testament and think, oh, well, well that's that's sufficient. This is new. That's old. This is, you know, this is old old hat. We, we don't need mm-hmm. to, you know, look at this anymore. We don't understand, you know, time periods, people, history, uh, cultures, thing. You know, that's just, you know, that's in the past. We don't have to. The sacrificial system has been done away with. Some people might argue. So why read the Old Testament or or what? All, all those things that we could right. look at and say, this is difficult or what or or whatnot. But right, and the sacrificial system has been fulfilled through Christ. Yeah, right. exactly. That's why it's it's different. But yeah, no, I feel like. I definitely had this view. I would have said the new, the Old Testament is, of course, God's word, but like so much in it is hard and difficult and that's okay. It's the Old Testament. Things were just different then, yeah. <laughs> which, yeah, in some ways things were different, but there's so much about who God is, about what he commands, about his law, his promises that are still true through and through, same God that I don't think I've given proper weight to. Yeah. And yeah, the whole, all the parallels you see, I've spent so much time in the New Testament and far less time being familiar with the Old Testament, the overarching story, but not nearly familiar enough, Uh, not reading it carefully enough or often enough to get 
all that there is there. And the more you see the Old Testament as being just as important and just as true still now as the New Testament, like the richer it all is. Yeah. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday. Yesterday, yesterday. (laughs) Old Testament yesterday, today, and forever. You know? So, yeah, I just find it. The more we read, the more we read of the word, the more remarkable God's revelation to man really is. Yeah. The more it really changes us, the more we think about these things. Mm-hmm. I'm reading right now Genesis and John. That's like what my reading plan is having me read. It struck me yesterday that just the the contrast of seeing God in the Old Testament and, you know, he reaches out to certain men and I'm in like the beginning of Genesis. So, um, you know, he talks to Abraham, Abraham hears his voice. He does certain things because God speaks to him, Jacob, same thing, but like God's word is so few and far between. It's like God up in heaven, man down on earth. There, there is a connection, but it's, it's distant. It's like, you might get this one word and then you're like, just living your life, trying to do what God told you to do, messing up, making lots of mistakes. They don't have the law yet. They're, you know, and oh my gosh, so many questions about lots of things in the Old (laughs) Testament, but I won't get off onto that. But just how you see God interact with man, like that's this picture. And then I read John and it's like amazing because it's Jesus in the flesh. It is God among them. It's Emmanuel. It's, you're not seeing like this word, God speaking to these people down on earth and like this far removed thing. You're seeing like Jesus shoulder to shoulder mm-hmm. with his creation, like God entering in, like the incarnation is mind boggling and more and more precious and overwhelming and Amazing the more I think about it. And I think seeing like how God interacts with man in Genesis and then how God interacts with man in John, it like blows you away that this God that created the cosmos in the beginning, he created everything, enters in as a person. I, I myself Mm -hmm. enter in and find my sheep. Like it's, yeah, this blows you away. But like, I've never studied that back to back like that, like seeing. God in Genesis and then seeing Jesus in John, it's like, it's astounding. It's like this neat comparison and contrast. Same God, equally God in the Old Testament, equally God in the New Testament, but the interaction with man being so changed and so different because Jesus is incarnate, like the word made flesh. And he dwelt among them. Seriously, what God would do that? Yeah. What God would take on the limitations of flesh and blood, enter into his creation, be bound by time, like, it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, so amazing. Not to mention do things like washing disciples' feet, washing Judas Iscariot's feet. Yeah. You know, doing all of the things that he did to take upon himself that. I, I think we can spend the rest of our lives trying to think about the person of Christ 
in that way it, through his humility yeah. and not grasp it. And I don't think as a human we can fully grasp the weight of it because we're talking about the infinite God who you just said created it all, but then but then was despised and rejected and and killed by people, mocked, scored, uh, you know, just all of the things that happened to Christ during his lifetime. That that humility, that love, that passion. It's 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 worthy of more than just reflecting on Christmas and Easter and a few other times, of course, throughout the year. Yeah. It should, it actually really should be a daily reflection, the person of Christ himself. Yeah. The beauty of his work that he did. It really is. Yeah. What, what, as you were saying that, one of the other things, because I'm going through the beginning, you know, pa- uh, chapters of, of Genesis, and I told you this the other day, but um, after mankind falls into sin. Uh, it's interesting that it says, and they heard the sound of the Lord God in chapter three, verse eight. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man and said to him, where are you? That is God's question the very the very first people that sin, he's already acting like that shepherd of the sheep. He's mm-hmm. already looking for them. He's already walking in the he's walking in the cool of the garden at the beginning of time with with Adam and Eve, and he already and, and he goes to them, and he says, "Where are you?" And of course, Adam's response is, "I heard the sound of you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself." And that response is also the response we see of mankind who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. We constantly, mankind without God, is afraid. He is hiding himself in his sin. He is crouching down just like Adam in the garden. He, is tr- he has put loincloths on himself. He is hiding himself. He is, but yet he is naked and he knows it. You know, the, 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 the conscience of man, he still knows that God has, it has been revealed to him that his, that for, um, what does verse 20 say? Um, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, the divine nature have been clearly seen being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. Adam was in it. He used the loincloths as, as in, in hiding from God as his excuse you know, I'm going to hide. I'm going to suppress. I'm going to run from God. And then God's God's question immediately is just, where are you? And that is the question for everyone that is lost. Where are you? Mm-hmm. He is seeking the lost. He is the great shepherd who seeks, who seeks those who are lost. And uh, the Lord and God says, he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? And the man said, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord said, then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. (laughs) This is anecdotal, but this is like the blame game of all blame games. This is the child who blames it on the sibling who then blames it on the other sibling. And it goes, you know, you know, it's just interesting that. 
here we have mankind's parents, Adam and Eve, playing the proverbial blame game that we all end up playing throughout our lives as well. Yeah, not That's, my fault. It's because of this. We're, yeah. we're even tempted to do, to do that, you know, ourselves, not even just children, but like, you know, you you have a bad reaction or, you know, you're impatient. You're like, well, sorry, I was impatient, but it was because like we want to give the reason or the excuse instead of just saying I was impatient. I was wrong. Right. Please forgive me. Right. Uh, so we, we still do that. That's our pride. <laughs> yeah. That's right? our pride. That's our pride. Thinking about what you said about Jesus's humility to bring it like close to home too. Like you said, we can't even fathom what it would be for the God of the universe to condescend even enough to be human, to put on flesh, but then like to wash somebody's feet, to share like ultimate truth, be himself truth, even though knowing so many men would reject him um, and laying down his life. I mean, just like all of the things that Jesus did, but like for us, we grumble and complain when we're inconvenienced or when like, oh man, you know, we need to clean this gross thing again or or whatever. Like our heart attitude is so often like put out or ugly. And like, what is it for us? Dust to dust to have to do <laughs> menial things. Like the God of the universe entered time, space, and history and did menial things. Did, yeah. and like with joy and humility, ultimate humility because of who he is. Yeah. And like compared to that, what are we? We're here for, we're a mist and a vapor. Our life is so short. So like that, like you said, if we think about Christ's humanity often, daily, I feel like that's like the dose of truth that helps you with, oh, well, this is what's before me. How could I not do what the Lord's put before me with a joyful attitude? Like, and humility. My humility is like, I'm already two inches tall, like kneeling down versus like the God of the universe bowing the heavens and coming down. Like it's such a greater uh, distance for him to do those humble things than it is for us. Right. So, oh, share about uh, back in Genesis, what you're telling me about, um, when Satan tempts Eve, that was really interesting. All the things you were pointing out in that, noticing. You know what I'm talking about? I think so. Refresh my memory. Well, like when Satan first comes to Eve, even how he frames the question. Mm, right. You were just kind of walking me through like what you were seeing when you were memorizing that part. Oh, right. So Satan, in the beginning of chapter 3... He comes to the woman and he says, did God actually say you shall not eat of any or you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it lest you die. Her response is not what God actually told Adam. Uh, God gave the directive to Adam before Eve was even created. He told Adam, he said, you may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. He doesn't say anything about touching or not touching. 
So, so I don't know if that. it was lost in translation with Eve, or maybe there's something from the text we don't have. There's part of the conversation we didn't have or something. But Eve adds on, we can't even touch this or we'll die. Kind of odd that mm-hmm. that was something that she said there because it's not something that was at least recorded in the word that that is what God told Adam. And uh, even before that, how Satan asks his question. Right. So Satan's question is, did God actually say, you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? The one tree. How many trees do you think there were in the garden aside from that one tree? Mm, uh, thousands? Millions? I don't know. I mean, how big was the garden? How big was the garden? That's a good question. Do we question. know that? We but, know about the rivers that were around there that flowed yeah. into Eden. Could but do be. we know how big it was? Right. I mean, so yes, correction. Yeah. Uh, one tree was the one that was prohibited. Yeah. Now, yes, so when they do fall, God basically says, we need, I have to kick them out of the garden because if they eat, if they, what is it, they reach, they stretch out their hand, they'll take from the tree of, of, life. of life and then they'll live forever in a state of sin. Yeah. We can't have, I, I can't have that. Right. So in his grace, he kicks them out so yes. they won't forever be separated from him. Yes. Um, yeah, but originally it's just one tree. And like Satan already twists it in the beginning. Yes. He says, so the, did he say? So that's the one thing. So yeah, so so the the takeaway or my observation was interesting. The interesting aspect is here's Satan saying, did God say you can't eat, you know, of any tree in the garden? He's basically saying, you see God, he's limiting you already. He comes, his, his question is already saying, he he's not giving you enough, is he? Right? Like you should feel unsatisfied, mm-hmm. whatever. Uh, and yet, that's not at all, because God gave them every tree, with the exception of one tree. Mm-hmm. You can't touch this tree. Yeah. God gives us every, he, he's given them all, you know? Did I use the example of being married to you? It's kind of inverted, yeah. but. Yeah, but hang on. Also. Yes. What is Satan twisting? God's word. Yeah. God's word. God's word. Satan knows he's, God's word. He's not just <laughs> pulling out something random. He like, never does. Oh, look at look at all look at that tree over there. Doesn't that look like a good tree? Yeah. He's not even just trying to get around God's prohibition. He's directly attacking God's word. Yeah. Did God really say? He's directly messing with God's commandment. And I mean messing it up but he's attacking that yeah. god's word yeah so yeah if you want to share your illustration right. right i think my illustration was something like it didn't work well <clears throat> exactly i mean it didn't translate exactly but well if it didn't work well i'm not going to use it <laughs> thanks okay <laughs> okay <laughs> well you even said okay this isn't exactly like a you know okay. yeah well okay well i'm going to use it anyway okay because maybe it'll work now maybe Okay. It's but in reverse. It's in reverse. It's inverted or whatever. So here's the, here's my, my illustration is, is, as a married man to you, uh, God has given me a wife. Now, he, you know, there's millions or billions or whatever of other women in the world. He hasn't given me any of them. He's given me you. He's given, but in giving me you, he's given me everything I need, physically, sexually, emotionally, all that, you know. It wrapped up in one because we're one flesh. I have everything I need as a man, just like Adam had Eve, okay, and they were one flesh. I have everything I need in you. 
I don't need to, as it were, uh, pick fruit <laughs> anywhere else. There's no, everything else is prohibited for me with, and that is my eyes being, you know, if, if they were lustful or body, if it was sexually immoral, all those things are prohibited. But God has so blessed me with you, I don't need any of those things. Um, I, I know it seems, you know, it is inverted. You know, they had all the trees except for one. But in a sense, having you is like having all the trees. See how it works now? <laughs> see, see, I knew I could make it work. <laughs> having you is like having all those trees. I don't need any of the other ones. It really is that fulfilling. It really is that good. It's that Christian marriage uh, um, is is enough to go, why, why would I look elsewhere? I don't need anything else. Adam and Eve, so going back to Adam and Eve, Adam and Eve, they didn't need anything else. They had the Lord walking in the cool of the garden. They had him. They had they had the fruit trees, they had animals, they had everything they needed. But, you know, they were tempted. Eve was tempted. She fell, gave some to her husband who was standing by or nearby, and, and they both fall into sin and into depravity. So by the one thing. Yeah. God the has, one and only thing they couldn't have that they like you said, they didn't yeah. even need it. It wasn't for any like lack. Yes. And going a little bit further in our own Christian life, I think we can look at all of the various things that the Lord does supply and provide us with in our life. He's given us He's given us everything that we need to love and to serve Him. And anything that we do outside of that, that we seek on our own, that become that is sin. So if we seek, you know, a relationship that we shouldn't have if we're married, let's say, you know, um, adultery of any kind. Um, if we seek. Uh, idolatry for instance we if we if we if we look at the things of the world it being entertainment or sports or anything outside of Christ himself being being for us the fruit he is the fruit of all that we need in our in our life and in our existence if we seek something else and make it a priority over him we're sort of reaching for that forbidden fruit we don't need to have that we can have everything we can have all the peace and contentment that comes out of godliness, we can we can ingest, we can have as Christians. We don't need to reach out and fall into error and sin. All of those things lead to death. Yeah. Just like it did for Adam and Eve. Yeah. Well, I shouldn't say just like it did, because obviously as a Christian we can we can repent, confess our sins, and then turn to the Lord. You know, Adam and Eve it's 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 a little different but i think the point is as a christian we have we have been given a sufficient amount of spiritual things and god blesses us even even physically he does not forsake us he does not you know, i've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread the psalmist says um and i know i know that's true in our own life even through ups and downs and things that we've gone through mm-hmm. the lord has never forsaken us he's always given us what we need yeah yeah i you said the word i was thinking sufficient we trust and we rest in christ's sufficiency in all things it's like the john newton quote everything is needful that he sins nothing can be needful that he withholds trusting him in the withholding knowing it's for our good, trusting him in the giving, knowing it's for our good. Either way, we're not looking to any 
thing to fill or satisfy, or we can only be happy if, or we can't be content unless, but knowing we are content and complete in everything he's given us and in everything he's not given us. And we can trust him with what he does. Everything he does is right. Not to say that we don't ask him when we see a need or go to him, but we ultimately rest that if we need it, he'll give it. And if we don't, he's enough. He'll make a way. He'll he'll fill us. We can't let anything else, because nothing else can. We can't, when we seek after something else to ultimately fill us, it will be to our demise. Nothing can ultimately fill or satisfy us but Jesus. And we have everything we need in him, life abundant. Everything else is an idol of destruction. Yeah, we become like what we worship. Right. So, yeah. Did you read that scripture already on here? Which one? The one about, um, well, I was thinking you said they were insane with their idols. That's from Ezekiel. But Jer- Jeremiah. Yeah. Jeremiah. Oh, I was thinking of the scripture that says, maybe it's in the Psalms, um, where it says, worshiping idols, like they became like them. Mm. Seeing but not seeing, mm-hmm. hearing but not hearing. Yeah. They became deaf and dumb like and blind like the idols that they worshipped. Is that in Psalms? <laughs> well, I'll take a stab. And actually, it sounds like it's from Jeremiah. All right. Well, we, perhaps, can, we can look for that. But I do think it is in the Psalms as well. All right. It's somewhere, somewhere. in the Old Testament. But it's the same, like, when we seek after these things, we become like them. We we can't hear the Lord anymore. When we seek after the Lord, we become like the Lord. We become more and more like Jesus. Yeah. So. Yeah. Anything else? Nah, that's good. It kind of wraps into this last statement, but that's... What's the last statement? Oh, just... Oh, yeah. yeah. Do that. The thing that you pondered... Um... Months and months ago, that kind of like just kickstarted your thinking differently. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you want to share that? Because it was you. Yeah, sure. So I was sitting, um, and it. I had my phone in my hand. I was looking at my phone, and I just had this this very elementary thought that is is very basic, but I just hit me from a different angle. And that then the thought was everything we ingest. And that we take in with our eyes and our ears, be it entertainment, the phone, social media, what we're reading, conversations we're having with people, everything we're taking in is having an impact and it is in it is influencing us. And that influence is constantly either for good or for bad or for evil. There really is nothing neutral. And that's something that we've definitely we definitely have seen a lot of teaching lately. There is, there's education is not neutral. Nothing Entertainment neutral. is not neutral, especially nowadays. Yeah. Sports is not even neutral anymore. I mean, nothing is neutral. There's always something behind it. Mm-hmm. And I, and in that, I don't want to call it a revelation, but it may be an epiphany perhaps that just under that basic understanding of, of knowing that, wow, what I am, looking at on social media or what I'm watching, if it's mindless entertainment at night through shows or whatever, 
all of these things is having an impact on my soul, on me. And and that that really <laughs> that was the genesis, if you will, <laughs> of our revelation <laughs> of all the things that we have been reading uh and have been discovering and listening through teaching Doug Wilson D- Gary Demar post eschatologist everything that books. we have book all the books um all the, the- <clears throat> all the other theology we've been reading and um and and watching it is pl- that i think was the 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 beginning of this journey if you will uh of Seeking deeper, the things of the Lord. Seeking more, more Seeking wholeheartedly. More. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And in that, like, purposefully seeking more of the Lord and more of His Word, it's changed our affections. It's mm-hmm. changed our tastes. Like, we we want more. The more you feed on His Word, the more you're hungry for His Word. The more you see of him, the more you want to know of him. Yeah. It's like this, I don't know, uh, whets your appetite and just right. leaves you hungrier, but then he satisfies. And then it leaves you hungrier again, and then he satisfies. It's kind of a never-ending yeah. pursuit. Right. And is he, are we seeking him? Or is he seeking us? We could not have sought him unless he first sought us. <laughs> what Narnia book is that from? <laughs> uh, that one is uh, the silver chair. You could not have come to me unless I had been calling to you. Aslan. That's how it's said in there. Yeah. Aslan. Yeah. 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 So it's definitely a, a gift from him. Yeah. He... And just tying a little bow on our little talk here. (laughs) He is the great shepherd who has sought us. He is the one who leads his sheep. Thank you for listening to the Love of Life podcast, Conversations with Jesse and Courtney. It is our duty through our schools to create a new one a God-centered one. We are told in Proverbs 8, verses 35 and 36, For whoso findeth me findeth life, and shall obtain favor of the Lord. But he that sinneth against me wrongeth his own soul. All they that hate me love death.